Hello and welcome to the Witch with Books podcast. I am your host today, Jason Mankey. It's good to be with you. This is one of our special author spotlight editions, and today we are shining a light on author and teacher Storm Fairy Wolf, whom I love and kind of have a crush on. Storm has been teaching witchcraft-related things since the early 90s, and over the last couple of years has released Betwixt and Between and Fairy Witchcraft through Llewellyn, which are terrific books, but... This is the year of Storm Fairy Wolf. He's just released two books, or one will be out by the time most of you listen to this. The first came out in March, that's The Witch's Name, and in May, The Satyr's Kiss. And want to hear something amazing? Like, Llewellyn doesn't let people release books that close to each other, and somehow Storm got away with it, which just tells you how magical he is. So Storm, it's really great to have you on the show. It's a short show, so we're just going to dive right into things. To some degree today, we are talking about the power of words. And one of the first things many might notice about you is that you self-identify as a warlock and not a witch. What's your attraction to that word? Well, I mean, I first heard that word when I was little. You know, I, I first heard about witchcraft when I was very little. When I was two, I was watching reruns of Bewitched. And, um, and of course the male witches were referred to as warlocks. So I just accepted that as true. And wouldn't you know it, that's the dictionary definition of the word as well. You know, so I kind of have that on my side, but in the pagan movement, it's been expressed that warlock is somewhat of a dirty word. It's believed to be an insult. It's original meaning, of course, meaning oathbreaker. <clears throat> but many words change their meanings <clears throat> over the years. And warlock is no different. Um, so at least for 500 years, it's meant a male witch. So my draw to this word is that it expresses the potential to connect to a divine masculine force within witchcraft. I also use the word witch to describe myself, but I, I default more towards warlock because I think there needs to be more work done to reclaim that term for men who wish to use that term to describe themselves. I'm certainly not saying that all male witches need to call themselves warlocks. That's absurd. Um, but I use that word and a growing number of men in the craft use that word. And again, as a means to kind of reclaim um, the divine masculine within the practices of our witchcraft. Excellent. So I finished the witch's name last week and I really liked it. I like all of your work though. What was the impetus for writing this particular book? For, for the satyr's kiss oh and the witch's name or the witch's name i'm all confused right you know you started the intro with like i got two books coming out and it, it is a weird thing to have two but with the witch's name um honestly the reason that i wrote the witch's name is because um well somebody was mean to me on the internet you know somebody was what? making fun of my name storm very wolf and i and i usually try when somebody kind of throws negative energy at me like that, I try to transform it and make it something positive. So my idea was like, okay, you're going to make fun of my name publicly. I'm going to turn that into a book and sell it. And so that's what I did. But I, I always wanted the opportunity to describe how I came to my name. It wasn't just a lark. It wasn't just on a whim. You know, this is actually the result of many years of, of study and dreams and rituals and, and so forth. And I did describe all that, you know, in the book. Um, but I wanted to also kind of show that this is a valid path within witchcraft and it doesn't have to be as outlandish as something like storm fairy wolf, you know, 
Um, but a lot of people, you know, will take on a new name in, in the craft. A lot of times that's private. It, it's maybe only shared amongst other initiates of the coven. But there are different variations of the magical name. Mine in particular, I use publicly. You know, even when I'm at the grocery store, you know, I'm Storm Fairy Wolf. Um, because that's the pledge that I've made is to be a public warlock full time. So all of that kind of went into the reasons why, you know, I wrote the witch's name. And it actually, it was a really good process, you know, for me to do this book. I learned a lot, you know, from other traditions, you know, other religions about their naming conventions and and some of the lore around the act of taking a new name, but also bestowing names. And so um, it was a really good journey, you know, for me to go on. And I'm just excited to be able to share this work with the world now. Well, you mentioned your Storm Fairy Wolf when you go to the grocery store. I can't imagine you any other way other than Storm <laughs> Fairy Wolf. I was doing Thank my you. research for this particular interview today. And, you know, when you type in things into Google, it suggests things to search for. And I was horrified to see that one of the suggestions for you was Storm Fairy Wolf real name. Right. I know. I clicked it because I was like, well, what's going on here? And, um, and you don't, you don't get anything of value really, you know, when you, when you click on it, because I'm just going to tell the world storm fairy wolf is my real name. It, it's not my birth name and it's not even my legal name. Although I will say my legal name has elements of that. Right. Um, but storm fairy wolf is my real name. My real name is that which you identify with full stop. It doesn't matter what government agency decides to call you. I mean, ultimately, we're just a number. We're just cogs in the machine, right? So it doesn't necessarily matter what your name is, but it's what you identify with, you know? So it's less important what people call you. It's more important what you respond to. Beautiful. I think that the magical name has been lost in a lot of modern witchcraft circles because you see people, I mean, I'm somebody who uses my mundane name, which I wish I had not done at all, but I'm stuck with it. So what are you going to do? I'm a Pokemon and a writer. It is what it is. <laughs> but do you, do you think this is one of those integral craft things that a lot of people overlook and don't understand? Yeah, because it's actually such a powerful tool. And I think that if more people understood the value in taking on a magical name, and not necessarily publicly, again, I'm not saying that people have to do this publicly, no other human ever has to know your magical name. I'm, I, I have a magical name that no other humans know. You know, I have several different magical names, depending on the tradition, the coven, the group, you know, and then just with my particular spirits, right? Um, but it is such a powerful tool. It, it's very much like you know, let's say you work in a coven and that particular coven works skyclad or maybe they work robed, right? The point being that it's different from mundane life, you know? So I put on my special robe. I'm going to go into this group. As soon as I put on that robe, it shifts my consciousness. Or maybe you have a particular necklace that the whole group wears. You put that on. And when you put that on, it shifts your consciousness. You're now going into a magical ritual space. The same is true of the magical name, although I feel like it's even deeper because we identify with the name in a way that we don't identify with a piece of jewelry or an article of clothing. So it still shifts our consciousness, but I think it's deeper, the name. And, um, and then just by continuing to use the magical name, it helps us more and more over time step into the center of our power. 
So I, I think that taking on a magical name really is a tremendous power, a powerful tool for the witch or for the warlock. And often it gets overlooked, you know, because, you know, I think that people don't understand it. They think that it's just a joke. You know, people will make fun of my name saying, oh, well, he's a D&D failure, you know, or he's, you know, he's LARPing, you know, he's cosplaying. And again, I've said this before, um, please don't come to insult the LARPers or the cosplayers. They do a lot of work. That's a lot of detail. I really respect LARPers and cosplayers. Right. So don't use that as an insult. Um, but it's but it's not that for me. I'd be a terrible LARPer, you know, <laughs> you know but um, so mad respect for it. You know, but it is a way to shift your consciousness. It's it's a tool of magic, very deep, powerful tool of magic. I have so much more confidence today as Storm Fairy Wolf than I ever did living my life under my birth name. This was an act of power. I got to name myself. I got to decide who I wanted to be. And choosing specific name elements, you know, mine's obviously a three-part name, Storm, Fairy, Wolf. They all mean something very special to me. They remind me of dreams and life experience, visionary experiences that I had. And by identifying with that name, I can bring all of that power into the present moment with me in whatever I do. I think a lot of people just don't understand that. They think, oh, you're just trying to be cool. Or you're just trying to be different. You just want attention, you know. Um, And that's just a way of dismissing that which you don't understand. So the witch's name is a very specific book, right? I mean, you're looking at one thing and one thing only. Was that a challenge in that respect? Because when you look at something specific, it's like, can I fill up this book? I know that some of my short books, I felt like, oh my God, this is never going to be more than 25,000 words. Um, Well, it was a challenge. I know that I, um, I forget what the word count ended up being. I want to say it was like, you know, 50,000, but um, I think I pitched 40,000 and then Llewellyn decided, no, it needs to be a little more, you know? So I had some encouragement along the way to, to kind of beef it up. And, and I'm really glad because um, my second iteration of the book just ended up and really connected at that moment when I got the advice from Llewellyn, when they said, maybe make it a little bigger, you know, um, it, it, it was helpful. Um, I did for a while. I was like, well, what am I going to say? You know, I felt like I said everything I needed to say at first, but then it was like, I started just realizing, oh, I didn't talk about this. Oh, I didn't talk about this. You know, so just going through the nitty gritty, going through the, well, you know, you know, as a writer, once you start on something, other avenues open up and, and you learn along the way. That's another reason I love writing, you know, because I learn so much more about the subject matter while I'm writing it, you know? Um, And so I feel like just the act of writing a book, I become that much more of an expert on the subject because now I've been able to delve into it on a deeper level in this this other way. So that's definitely what happened with The Witch's Name. There was stuff that came up with my research. It's like, I was not aware of this. You know, there's things like the Porsche hypothesis that I mentioned in there, which is specifically about... um, women in um, legal professions and how their names are perceived. And if their names are perceived more masculine, then chances are they're going to do better. You know, they're going to get promoted. You know, um, if their names are too, too feminine, quote unquote, they they're, might get passed over. The same thing happens with names that don't sound European, you know? Um, you know, so those are things that maybe I was marginally aware of, but now I have the data in front of me. 
And um, it really did lend itself to this whole process of understanding the power of names, even outside of a magical setting. You know, the power of names just for the mundane folk, you know, living their lives. How a name sounds will affect how people think of you, you know? And so for me, I was also, I was, my birth name was also mostly my father's and my grandfather's name. So I never felt like it was mine. So for me also taking on a new name was literally about claiming my own identity. And that's something that I think is a really important part of the magical name, but just naming in general, you know, a lot of people outside of paganism might need to take new names, you know, people who are transitioning, you know, often will take a new name. That's a very powerful thing. And you can make that into a ritual. In fact, I kind of think people should make it into a ritual. You should celebrate that. It, that is your rebirth. You know, you're stepping fully into who you are and you are claiming who you are and you're deciding who you want to be. And it's not taking a name that somebody just gave you. You know, you are now taking back that power and making it your own. Beautiful. My wife doesn't use her birth name and became something else like a phoenix rising out of the ashes of Catholic school, which I love. Yeah, All right. that's awesome. So we have to talk about the Satyr's Kiss, queer men, sex magic, and modern witchcraft. I am mostly a straight man, mostly. I love this freaking book i almost you can cuss on the show but i tried not to you know apple and <laughs> all that i i just freaking loved that so thank you what was the uh inspiration to write this particular book um it literally was the first book i ever wanted to write so we're, we're going back to like when i was probably like 14 which it would have been a terrible book had i written <laughs> it at 14 um first of all i had never had sex at 14 you know so i don't know how i would have written this book but I did have this inherent knowledge that sex was powerful. And I remember even reading, like, I want to say the Witch's Bible Complete, a Witch's Bible Complete by Janet Zurfarar, if I'm pronouncing their name right. And um, how they were very much into um, downplaying the idea that, you know, oh, witches had sex and ritual, and, you know, witches have orgies, and oh, no, no, no. And they described it very prim and proper and British and boring. And there was something, even in my 14 year old brain, there was something that said, Oh, I don't know. I don't, I think this is not exactly true. We're kind of downplaying something. I think you doth protest too much. And I always just knew that, no, that there was power in carnality, you know, that witchcraft really was a path that drew from the primal and sexuality is practically as primal as you can get, you know, in, in physical bodies. And I just thought this needed to be expressed obviously, you know, fast forward, you know, many, 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 many years since I was 14. And um, I've certainly had the life experience to, to be able to, you know, put pen to paper or, you know, fingers to keyboard, if you will, and, and be able to describe some of the things that I've been exposed to. Um, and then drawing it together in a particular style um, to make it more cohesive. But I just didn't see anything else out there over the years, you know, that was quite like this. I mean, they're there's some books for, for queer people and, and the craft. Um, and there's quite a spectrum, you know, um, gay witchcraft, obviously by mm -hmm. Christopher Penzak is one of the best, right? Um, I won't name some other ones because they're definitely not the best. And then I want to get down on people's work. If I don't like your work, I just won't mention you. Um, but there's some out there that are terrible. There was one in particular that purported to be a path of sex magic for, for gay men. 
And it was just horrible. Like it, it didn't believe that bisexual people existed. Um, it was somewhat anti-trans. I was, I was very disappointed, you know, by this. And so I wanted to create something that yes, was focused specifically on queer men because that's what I am. And I can't expect to be able to speak for anybody else's experience, but I wanted it to be inclusive or at least as inclusive as possible. And so, whereas it's focused on queer men, I definitely wanted to make sure that people felt that they could adapt things, you know, for their own use, but I wanted it to be, um, at least in the language, I wanted it to focus on queer men because my experience is that, you know, even if I was going to the movies and I was seeing like a rom-com, nothing was directed towards me. I always had to make those internal translations in order to make it relevant to me. And I can do that because I'm a human being who has empathy. You know, I can see the man and the woman, you know, going through their stuff and they're in love and I know what it's like to be in love. So I can connect with that, but the story is not meant for me. And so this is an opportunity now to kind of turn that around, you know, so maybe, you know, some of the quote unquote straight people that are going to be reading this book now have to make those internal translations for themselves, right? I think it's a really worthy exercise for everyone involved. So, but I, I definitely also wanted to make sure that trans people were included. Um, but again, I couldn't speak specifically to the trans experience being a cis male myself. So I'm hoping that I did it justice. And I'm sure if I didn't, I'll hear. Um, but um, and even if you, you know, did, you'll still hear criticism. Probably true. Right. That's probably true. But I, I, I will say I did. I tried my best. And, um, you know, also I learned a lot, I think, from this. And, and you know, as it goes, every time you, you hope anyway that every time you write a book that it's better than the last one. You know, you hope you learned a little bit more about the process. And, and so hopefully this is a little bit better than stuff I've done in the past. And maybe my next one will be better yet. So fingers crossed. So did you get any pushback from Llewellyn over the sheer amount of sex magic in this book? I have not read anything this sexy in a Llewellyn book. Well, ever in a Llewellyn book. Yeah, it's um, no, I did not get any pushback on that. Um, there was one thing, and I don't even know if I should say what the specific thing is, um, but there was one element. There was one of the, I'll, I'll be, I'll be cryptic about it because I know people love the crypticness. Um, there was one person that I included amongst the rainbow dead, you know, so the queer dead mm -hmm. of the craft, and I was told not to include them. Um, and so, yeah, that, and that was a little painful because it was somebody that I really, I, you know, thought was important to the history of the craft. Um, but that person's surviving family is not okay with it. And so that was a little tough for me, but I did what I needed to do. And, you know, but I'll still, you know, include that person in my site. I actually just made a, um, Google calendar you know, for the rainbow dead for honoring feast days. And that person is still on the calendar. And so um, when I make that public, people can just figure it out. And I actually think this person is actually referenced later in the book, you know, anyway, when I list different feast days, I think that's still there. And so I'm, I got my fingers crossed. Now that I've said this, I'm hoping Llewellyn just go in there and like, look for it and try to take it out. <laughs> yeah. We'll tell them not to listen. They usually yeah. listen to me. <laughs> I no, love that. But about the sex stuff, they were yeah. they were totally great about the sex stuff. I never had any issue with that at all, and I was surprised because a lot of other queer authors were telling me, "Oh, Llewellyn's never going to publish this," 
oh my God, because some of it's a little risque. I mean, obviously it's very explicit. It's not crass, but it's explicit. And, um, but no, Llewellyn had no problem with it. So I felt very blessed. It's on, it's honest, which is what I like about it. You're not, it's not scientific words. It's like, do this. It's going to feel good. It's fine. Right. And sometimes when you read books about sex magic, they make it really clinical and not approachable and conversational. You mentioned the feast days. I loved that part of the book. Part Uh, of it is because I have a Paul Lind thing because fabulous uh, just fabulous yay uh, but, thank you yeah but it was just great that you wove in some of the history because in the seven in the 70s and 80s craft history seems very high priestess and high priest and then you had eddie in new york and you had herman slater in you know also in new york you had a lot of pioneers in the craft who you know, who are gay men and i often don't think their stories get told Right. Yeah. And and I'm sure that there's plenty more that I don't know their stories. And I, I'm kind of looking forward to that coming up now. You know, I'm sure that when the book comes out, I'm going to get emails, you know, oh, well, you didn't mention so-and-so, you know, whatever. And um, so I'm looking forward to learning more, you know, as we put that work out there, as you know, every time you put a book out there, there's stuff that we didn't know, you know, and that, you know, people will then their best to tell us, you know, what we didn't know. But I'm actually looking forward to that because I think that a lot of queer history is fragmentary and a lot of it has been buried. Um, Kind of along the same lines, one of the things that I was very surprised to learn while I was writing The Satyr's Kiss, you know, is, well, like with Greek history, you know, we know that like, oh, there was so much gayness going on, you know, whatever. There was so much homosexuality going on. And, but that was actively suppressed until the 1950s. So that was not widely known at all. It was just in a few like academic circles, we kind of knew about that and then they just shelved it. And so no one talked about it, nobody knew about it. It wasn't until the 1950s that were like, wait a minute, Greek culture was super gay, you know? And, and now we know that, but that tells you how long, you know, academia has been suffering from bigotry And, you know, and you think, you know, the world, and then suddenly it's like, no, this has actually existed forever, but, you know, we just locked it up in a box somewhere. So that would, that was pretty eye opening. But if that was happening up through the fifties, I still wonder like how much stuff is out there that we just don't know about, you know, there's, you know, a lot of stuff also that people dispute, you know, like with Rumi, you know, I often think, you know, like, come on. (laughs) <laughs> you know, Rumi and his love poems to right. Shams. And it's like, some of it's erotic. It's pretty hot and, and up there. And so many people are like, oh, they were just good friends. You know, I'm like, oh, really? You know, what's what's going on here? Leonardo da Vinci, you know, was another one. Alexander the Great. These are people that now we know, you know, had, you know, male lovers. But like, even like 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, no, no, that's not true. You know, because because the the mainstream still wants to erase queerness from history, but you can't erase us from history. We are history. Beautiful. On that note, uh, we're about out of time. So I have to ask, what's next on the writing docket? Is the next book coming out in August or something? <laughs> the way you've been moving lately? No, no. I'm taking a little bit of a break. I do have some ideas. There's a couple collaborations. Um, that I'm looking forward to one with Devin um, Hunter and then one with Chaz Bogan. Um, but we're not ready to release any of that yet. No, right now I'm just working on some classes for our modern witch university. And, um, but I do, I do also have a couple ideas for solo books, but I'm taking it a little easy. 
I'm certainly not going to write two books at a time, or at least not pitch to contract two books at a time anymore. That was great. That was a great honor. And never again, that was a lot of stress. That was my pandemic lockdown was um, getting these two books done. I feel like I did a good job and now it's time to take it out. And before we go, if people want to find out more about you online, where can they find things that you do? Yeah, thank you. Um, please go to my website, fairywolf.com. That's F-A-E-R-Y-W-O-L-F.com. You can also check out modernwitchuniversity.com. That's where we have our online classes, including the Black Rose Witchcraft one-year online course. Um, and then you can also find our online store where you can buy uh, magical products and art, divination tools. And that is daturatrading.com. So check us out online. You can buy our books, buy signed copies of our books, art, um, crystals, um, you name it. We've got stuff for you. So check us out, please. (laughs) Storm, thank you so much for talking with me. I am a big fan. This was so fun for me. Uh, You can see me blushing right now. Nobody else can, which is the (laughs) joy of podcasts. Uh, Hopefully we'll be able to talk again soon. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. This is the Witch with Books podcast. I'm Jason, and I'll talk to you next time.